My name is Michael, and I get the honor of serving as the Youth and Community Engagement Director here at Central. And we just want to thank you for joining us in this online experience, or however you're watching this, we, we thank you for joining us. And we just want you to know one of the reasons we as a church exist is to help people find and follow Jesus. And so we encourage you to take this moment to invite a friend uh, to join you in this online experience in an effort to help them find and follow Jesus and I just want to start off by saying, man, I'm really excited about this series that we're going into. I'm really excited because the series is Jesus Is. And talking about Jesus Is is literally my favorite kind of thing because Jesus really did change my life. And I really do believe that Jesus is all we need. So I'm excited to share a little bit about this message that has been stirring in my heart for some time now. So I just want to thank the, the staff and the elders and, and everybody for giving me an opportunity to share this message with you. And today our message is titled, Jesus is Powerful. And when you think of power, you could think of a lot of things, right? You could think of... Uh, authority maybe, you could think of a political power, or maybe you can think of control over something, or, or maybe even strength. But when you think of power, you can think of all kinds of things. And we're going to dive into two things specifically today, but uh, first I want to share a little bit about my story. Um, I remember just being a high school student, and right now I get the honor of being with a bunch of high school students, and I, I remember being in their shoes and doing all the things that they did, and, and one of those things that I got to do when I was in high school was go on field trips, and so I remember this one field trip in particular, we were off to uh, a science museum, and, and I'm sure you remember going to something similar, but uh, that's where I learned about like osmosis and how trees grow, and, and learned about all things science, right? And I remember I was walking around, and at one moment I got this really sharp pain in my body. It was almost like something bit me. And I, from that point on, I kind of wasn't really feeling all too good the rest of the day. So I remember just going home and, and just going straight to bed. And the next morning, I woke up and I felt really weird and different. I wasn't quite myself. It's like I woke up and I felt a little bit stronger, like I had more power than usual. Um, my eyesight was way better for some reason. Maybe it was because I actually wore my contacts and glasses that day. And for some reason, my hand was like way stickier than usual. It's, it's kind of weird, I know. Just bear with me. But um, I, I, in that season of life, I was doing a lot of things. I was on student leadership, and, and I was uh, doing all the high classes, all the things to, to, to get into a good college and playing sports. And I remember having a conversation with my uncle and he said something that really stood out to me. He said, with great power comes great responsibility. And that is the story about how I became your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, I know it's kind of weird. I know that's funny. But honestly, let's just say, like, this feels right, you know? This picture feels right. Just, this picture is everything that I feel like myself. I feel like this is, if I had one kind of, like, like, this was me. This is, this is the person that I was intended to be. But in all seriousness, I love the quote. I love that kind of mindset of with great power comes great responsibility. Because when you think about power, you think of the reality that it has power to influence for the good and the bad. And the first kind of power that I want to talk about is the power to influence or change. And that could be anything. That could be our circumstances, that could be our workplace, it could be uh, our city, it could be things within our family, it could be um, anything that you can think of that needs to be changed in your life. 
And if you know about our church, you know that we live in San Jose, and our church is, is in the middle of San Jose, and San Jose is known for a few things, and one of those things is technology. We're in the heart of Silicon Valley. We have seen a lot of good things happen. And I would dare to say that the Silicon Valley is one of the most powerful, if not the most influential place in the world. Why do I say that? I say that because I have a cell phone that allows me to go clear across the world and still FaceTime my mom and see my mom during Thanksgiving as a result of technology. With right here, I have my laptop and, and I have access to every book in the world. I have access to all the information in the world. And years ago, we did not have that. And because of these kinds of things, think about Zoom. Our whole nation is shut down and we still have the ability to see each other, even if it's not the way we wanted. Um, that influenced our lives and because of that, it changes our lives. And because of that, we can still have church online because of technology. Think of that kind of influence. But when you think of that kind of influence, it has the ability to both be good and bad. See, technology can also do a lot of harmful things. You think of things like pornography or you think of things of like people are able to hack into things because of, of technology and it has the ability to do a lot of harm. And isn't that the story in our culture is that influence has both that kind of potential. And I'm reminded of a story in the Bible and I'm going to summarize that for you guys. It's a story in Daniel chapter 3. It's about these three Jewish men who go by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, their parents were creative when they named them, right? My parents went with Michael, one of the top ten names in every book ever. Just kidding, Mom, Dad. I love my name. Who is like God? It's more of a question rather than a statement. But uh, that's what my name means, just so you know. But they had some pretty awesome names and... Basically, in this story, there's this guy who goes by the, the name of King Nebuchadnezzar, also a mouthful. And in this story, he's told about a dream where basically um, his head is, is created as a gold statue. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar is that guy who tries a little bit too hard. And so a try hard, if you think about it, is this man. It's, it's that guy who brings his own bowling ball when no one else in his friend group bowls. A tryhard is also that guy who brings his own golf clubs to top golf when no one else golfs. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar took that kind of dream, and what he did was he made a whole statue. He said, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And we're going to make a whole gold statue that looks just like me, and everybody's going to worship it. When the music plays, I want all the influential people from all around the regions to come and worship me. And so in that moment, he does that, right? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego basically say, nah, that's not for us. We serve God, the one true living king, and we won't do that. And so when the time comes, the music plays, and all these people are required to come and worship this thing, the three men say no. And the results of that, the consequence of that, was that anyone who disobeyed would be thrown into a fiery furnace. And basically saying you either be obedient or you die. And so they see that these three men are not worshiping this thing, and they bring them forward, and they ask why. And, and their response is basically, look, we don't have to explain ourselves, but the God that we love and serve can and will save us from this. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods or the gold statue you put before us. So the result is they're thrown into this fire. And everybody starts freaking out because they see a fourth person in the fire with them. 
And they say, didn't we just throw three people in there? And, and that, that fourth man looks like the son of God. And he's protecting them. And so they call the three men out. And the three men come out. And it says that they weren't harmed by any means. And Nebuchadnezzar says that, they, that the God that they serve, everyone else from this point on would be asked to serve that God because he is the true living God. And I think of this story because there's a lot of things that are going on, but I love kind of what they say. I love what it says in this part of the story, Daniel 3, 27. It says that, the, And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor the garments affected, and the sm there was no smell of fire on them. You see, I'm thinking of this kind of thing and, and the kind of influence that a king could have. But that kind of influence that is actually producing harm in this moment when they're thrown into the fire, it has no physical consequences on these people. And so sometimes influence occurs without true biblical power. You see, things can happen, and, and, and in some ways we can kind of go away from the plans of God and, and think that we can figure it out ourselves and, and become more independent than dependent on Him. And unfortunately, life happens, and, and those things come back full circle. But there's one thing that I've kind of learned in my life, is that when God isn't behind it, then power is not available. And you see, we know that God's not truly behind something because it doesn't bring joy that is sustainable. It doesn't bring a love that feels right. It doesn't bring a hope that lasts. You see, we only get that through Jesus. When you think of Nebuchadnezzar and his plan to unify people and bring them together, it was meant by means of religion and fear. A.K.A. he was saying, like, you either be obedient or you die. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus unifies with love and freedom. You see, Jesus meets us with the desires of our heart, and he gives, gives us exceedingly and abundantly more. You see, the love of Jesus influences for the rest of our lives. It changes. It's, it's sustainable. The love of Jesus changes history. And I would even dare to say that true power lasts. And you only get that through Jesus. I would even make this claim that we can't fully have influence that changes our circumstances until we rid all independence and become fully dependent on Jesus. You see, I, I think that sometimes we try to do it on our own and we, we try to become uh, Miss Independent and we try to become Mr. Independent and we try to figure it out, but for some reason all the things aren't lining up. And You see, these men who were close to Jesus understood that it was always Jesus who was in control. And I'm reminded of a story in Scripture. I'm going to summarize it again for you guys, but we'll, we'll go into it a little bit. And It's the story in Acts 3 of, of, of a guy who, who's considered the lame beggar. The lame beggar was put outside of this gate called Beautiful. And he was a man who could not walk for most of his life. People would walk by him and he would sit outside and he would ask for spare change. His whole life just sitting there asking for change. Similar to that man that you go to um, when you're, maybe you're heading into 7-Eleven and someone's out there asking for change. Maybe you throw a, a penny at him or so and people would do that for this man. But his whole life he would sit outside of his gate because only people who were whole and pure were supposed to walk through that gate. 
And there's, there's this story of, of Peter and John walking up to, to this man, and they see him uh, at his lowest point, and, and, and they look at him, and, and they say, hey, like, what do you need? And the man basically just asks for spare change. And Peter says to him, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth would you rise and walk? And it's in that moment, the power of Jesus, the name of Jesus heals this man's body. And he stands up and he walks through these gates for the first time. And he's dancing. And it's Jesus who changes his history. It's Jesus who, who, who brings the true change that this man was looking for. And I think of this story and I think of Peter and all these people kind of losing their mind of, of what just happened because they recognized that this man had been lame since birth. And for the first time, he walks up, and, and Peter knows it wasn't by his own power. Because Peter later speaks into it, and it's in Acts 3.12. It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? You see, true influence or change is a result of understanding that it only comes from Jesus. See, that's why the cross is so important. That's why repentance in our life is so key because most commonly translations say that repentance means to turn. So we turn away from the ways of the world. When everyone else would say, oh, it's not possible or that man could never walk or these men will never make it through the fire, we look to Jesus and we see his power and his transformation only. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that they only needed God. And I love that they make claims, and, and one of the claims that they make is in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. You see, they knew that God had their back. See, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And it's kind of crazy because they make these three statements like, the God we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us, but if he doesn't. And I start to think like, why make this kind of claim? You see, for someone to make such a claim, they need to have something. And these men clearly understood that God had the power to deliver them from the fire. But even if he didn't, they would stand in great faith. You see, people who understand Jesus' power to save understand a life of great faith. You see, uh, a biblical faith is this. It's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I love, I love that thought process. It's a process of like, oh, I have no idea, but I believe for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to see it, but, but, but it will, and I believe for it. You see, faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us. Faith means obeying God and, and, and regardless of the circumstances around us. Faith means obeying God regardless of the consequences before us. See, faith says God can, God will, and God does. 
God can use his power. God will use his power. And God does have power. Because the ultimate reason for faith is to bring glory to God. And by one act of faith, these three men became witnesses of the true living God to an entire empire. You see, God always rewards faith. But he doesn't always step in and perform special miracles. You see, not everybody who prays is healed. But God always gives the strength to bear with the pain and grace to face death without fear. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their identity. You see, they, they tried to change the identity of these men. They tried to, to say, hey, you have to worship this idol. You have to do this thing. But they stood firm. And let me be clear, like God can and will do miracles. But this kind of mindset is not just in those power moments. This kind of mindset is in, in our daily life when we read our word. When we're praying to God. We, when we invite him into our decision making, when, when we go to work, when, when we're doing life with our family, when we're trying to raise our kids, when we're trying to, to change our campuses, when we're trying to change our city, when, when we want to influence for the kingdom of God. It's our daily life. Now the miracles will happen. The miracles can happen. And I believe that they are happening. You can hear stories all across America, all across the nations of God moving in power. And I love that these men understood their identity. I love that these men stood firm in their identity. And I love that because it, it, it helps me think of this reality and it brings me to my next point. Is that the kind of power that Jesus gives is the power to sustain our identity. You see, I'm reminded of stories in Scripture I'm going I'm to read through this one. Uh, it's, it's a few slides, so if you can bear with me as I read through it. We're going to read through the whole thing and then talk about it. It's the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. In John 8, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. And that's stoning in terms of rocks and not the devil's lettuce that you might be thinking. Um, but what he says is saying, he says, so what do you say? And then this is basically them giving a test to Jesus and trying to charge him and bring stuff against him. And so Jesus does something kind of interesting. He says, Jesus bent down and wrote his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replies, No one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now go. And from now on, sin no more. See, Jesus does some interesting things in this moment. He does a lot of interesting things. And, and in this moment, this woman, it said she's caught in the act of adultery. 
And so some scholars assume that she was caught in the act, which means that she was brought before the people, maybe fully nude. And, the, and naked and ashamed in front of all these people after, after leaving um, home or leaving all the plans that maybe God had for her. And the world before her is calling her a liar, a cheater, an adulterer. And Jesus does some interesting things. He draws in the sand and he draws in the dirt and he, he looks around and he, he says, go for it. If, if you've never sinned, do it. And these men, one by one, drop their stones and leave. And he looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, it's in this moment I feel like Jesus is completing her identity. It's in this moment that Jesus is igniting her purpose and I believe he does the same for us. You see, his power ignites our purpose. His power completes our identity. You see, in this moment, there's a lot of debates from scholars, and, and I, I can't say that this is facts or, or any of those things, but, but I encourage you to go and, and, and do some of the research. But, but one of the things that comes to my mind in, in this time is when Jesus is drawing in the dirt. I can't help but go back to a moment in the beginning of creation. A moment in Genesis 2-7 where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. One of the most intimate moments where God creates humans in his own image and breathes his very life into them. And I can't help but think in this moment that maybe God is going to that time where he created this woman. You see, we don't get to hear her name, we just know her as the woman caught in the act of adultery. But perhaps Jesus is going back to that time where he formed her before she was in her mother's womb, when he created for her for a woman of grace, a woman of beauty, a woman that could change the world. And for a moment, she steps away from the plans that God has for her. Maybe she knew him before, maybe she didn't, I, I really don't know, but she steps away from that, that, that kind of knowing God, and, and he looks at her and he says, you're still my daughter. He looks at her with the eyes of forgiveness, the eyes of hope, eyes of generosity. And he secures her identity as a daughter. And you could imagine being that woman in front of him, just so confused as to why Jesus would be so loving. And in this moment, um, what he does, it, it, it's so crazy, is that he says, despite what you've done, I see who you are. And I, I think of this as kind of an, an analogy. And, and follow me along with this one is that in my hand is this microphone. And this microphone, basically what it does is it amplifies my voice. It records what I'm saying and it makes it so you can hear what I am saying. And I don't have to strain my voice. I don't have to yell. I don't have to do any of those things. But this thing is ran by power. So there's batteries in it. It needs to be charged and sometimes the power goes out. Sometimes the batteries aren't fully charged. This happens to me in youth group all the time. Um, the batteries will just die in the middle of it. And if, if it dies in the middle of me talking, then it has no power. But the reality is, is that, that just because there's no power and it's not amplifying my voice is that it's still a microphone. Just because it loses power doesn't mean it's now a rock. It doesn't mean it's a TV. It doesn't mean it's a dog. It's still, its identity is still a microphone. 
And though the power is not in it and the power is not moving it forward, we would still call it what it is. And I can't help but think of that in this moment, Jesus is looking at her. That though she may have walked away from him, though she never, maybe she never knew him, I don't know. But when he's looking at her, he sees her for what he created her to be. He sees her for the woman that he designed her to be, a daughter of the living king, a daughter of the true living God. And I believe Jesus does that for us. I believe Jesus looks at us and he speaks to our potential. That Jesus looks at us and he's not judging us based off of our circumstance. Uh, uh, and, and yes, we do have to say yes to him. Yes, we have to repent. Yes, we have to do all those things. But his eyes are always through the lens of love. Because Jesus speaks to our potential and not to our circumstance. See, he's so loving. He's so good and allows us to be sons and daughters regardless of, of where we, we choose to go or what we choose to do in that moment. He's, he, he's sustaining her identity. And I love how the stories are so different that Shad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their place with God. And God comes in power. The miracles performed. But even with this woman who, who maybe wasn't walking with him ever or if at all, he comes and meets her with power and sustains her identity. You see, in both circumstances, Jesus influences and changes. And I, and I want to share a quick story. It's a real one this time, I promise. It's not Spider-Man. It's not one of those things. But if you know me, you've known that um, over the last few years, I had the privilege of, of doing missions work and and partnering with a lot of things that God's been doing all across America. I've seen a lot of people get saved. I've heard stories of healing. I've seen things happen that only God could have done. And You know, when you're kind of the faith guy in the family, you get a lot of phone calls, and you get a lot of prayer requests, and you get a lot of things. And honestly, sometimes it feels like a lot of pressure. And don't get me wrong, I love it. it it's, it's a joy to do life with people. It's a joy to, to get those phone calls. But there was one time where we were doing a training school in Huntington Beach, and there's about 400 college-age students from all across America coming to learn how they could reach their campus. And I remember getting a text message from my mom saying, hey, your cousin's not doing too good. You might want to consider coming home. And a little backstory about my cousin is, my cousin was in a severe car accident. And it was in that time that she um, became paraplegic. She wasn't supposed to make it through that night. But we, we, helped, we had moments of prayer for her, and, and God, God saved her in that moment. And I remember having conversations with my cousin uh, when I would come back from these trips, and she would say things of like, hey, have you ever heard stories or seen people get healed? And I, I would share stories of things that my friends have shared or things that happened on tour, and she would make statements like, man, I can't wait for God to do that in my life. But if, even if he doesn't, man, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. And I remember the moment that my aunt told me that she received Jesus into her life and, and started walking with him. She used to host um, Bible studies for kids all across her apartment complex. And she would feed them and do all these awesome things. But my mom calls me and, and says, hey, I, I'm being serious. Like, you should think about getting home. And so I booked the next flight home to San Jose, and I, I get to go to sleep that night, and I wake up in the morning, and my mom tells me that my cousin didn't make it. 
And she, she then speaks to me and says, hey, your aunt is wondering if you could come in and pray with the family. And I'm like, you know, in that moment, I kind of don't, don't really want to do that because my cousin's gone. And I remember getting to the hospital and my aunt walking up to me and saying, hey, Michael, would you be willing to come and pray? And in that moment, I don't have the heart to say no, but I, I began to think like, man, when do I get to mourn? When do I get to, to, to be like a normal person? Why do I always got to be the one to step into these scenarios? And as we're walking to the hospital room, I'm reminded of all these stories where God comes in power. I'm reminded of how God um, has the ability to, to, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to save people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to, to come in power with, with the lame beggar. And, and, and I'm rem- reminded of moments that, where he raises the dead. And I'm thinking, man, what if God would do something crazy in my life? And so I walk into that room and, and I start praying with my family and I start thanking God for her life. And I remember saying, God, I, I know that you can restore her. I know that you can bring her, God. I, I know that you can bring peace to this family. And so, God, if it's your will, would you restore her body? And I remember leaving the room and nothing happening. And I'm walking down a hallway and I start to become really angry and bitter. Is that I'm the man in the family who's supposed to bring faith into a room. I'm the man who's supposed to do things and, and God's supposed to move. And I remember thinking like, God, I never signed up for any of this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the one that people come to. I don't want to be the one that people ask help for. I never signed up for this. And I remember in that moment, God almost silencing me. And it's as if he spoke this to me. It's as if, if, if he said, Michael, actually you did. I don't know if you remember, but there was a moment where you needed me the most. It was a moment where you lost your grandfather and you, and you felt so lost. You ran to church. You're sitting in the back of, uh, of the hall and, and a lady comes up to you and she prays for you and she says, Jesus, give him hope. Jesus, give him peace. Jesus, restore his family. And it was in that moment you experienced my power. It's that moment that you experienced all the things that you ever desired. And you ran home that, that, from that moment and you said, God, if you're real, you have to use me. You have to use me to bring that same hope to people, that same peace to people. It was in that moment that you signed up for the moments that you think that you don't want. For the moments of pain, for the, for the moments of praying for family, for the moments of, 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 of believing for things that no one believes for. It's in that moment that you recognize that I had power. It's in that moment that you, you understood that, that I was the one igniting your purpose. I was the one um, bringing your, your identity to completeness. It was me. And you realized that. And I think of all the stories that, of, of you guys, of people who may be watching this. And maybe I don't know all your stories. Maybe I don't know what's going on. But what I do know is that God can. And what I do know is that God will. And, and I do know that even if he doesn't, he's still good. And I know that, that regardless of, of where you're at, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your feelings, regardless of the consequences, is that Jesus still moves with power today. And I, and I believe that for your life. I believe that for, for what you're believing for. Because I've seen God do things. 
And, it, and it's in those stories where, where people try to change the identity of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they stood firm in their faith. They knew that God had power. And then they knew that even if he didn't come through, that he was still good. That he was still able to do these things. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize it till within the last couple years. Those prayers of, of prayer for healing for my cousin. I, I thought that in my life they would happen on earth. And I, and I can say with full confidence that her body was fully healed the day that she met him. The day that she encountered him in all of his glory. The, the day that she seen him in his majesty in awe. And I can't help but believe that maybe sometimes God has a greater plan for us. That maybe those moments where we think he's going to come and do a miracle, maybe he wants to do that in a different way. A, a way that shines light on him, a way that brings him glory, because faith's ultimate purpose is to give him glory. And so, so I, I want to do something. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for every single person who, who's watching this. And, and I don't know your circumstance. I don't know what you're going through. But I first want to encourage you to get to know who he is. You see, God, uh, really, he sustains our identity. And it makes a lot more sense when we know this man. And so that means opening up your Bibles. That means spending time with him, even when you feel like it's producing nothing. Even when you feel like you, you don't understand what's going on, it's getting to know his character, spending time in his word, praying to him, talking to him, inviting him into your life. And it's in those moments where, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand in faith and say, throw us into the fire. Because we believe that God has power. It's those moments that help build our faith. You see, God does come in power. And I believe for the miracles that you're believing for. And I believe that he's going to do what he intends on doing. And so I just want to pray for you as we come to a close and, and pray two things. That, that God would, would, would physically change and influence the circumstances that you need him in most. But even if he doesn't, that he would sustain your identity as a son and daughter. And so let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your mercy. I thank you so much that you truly are good. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the hope that's found in you. And God, I thank you for, for each person who's tuning in and hearing th these words. God, I know that you can come in power and you, you can perform miracles and you can do things. So God, we, we pray for healing. God, we pray for physical healing, for sickness. God, that only you, you can, can come in and, and, and change those circumstances. And God, we pray for the doctors who, who, who are helping in that healing process, that you would speak to their hearts. God, we pray that you would restore families today. God, that your power would, would bring life to families and, and would bring amongst greater community, greater hope, greater joy in households. Lord, we thank you that you move in power. And so, God, any prayer there, any prayer that, 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 that someone may be thinking of, that they've been crying out for years or, or however long, God, that you would come and, and move in power. And, God, we say that even if you don't, 
God, that you would sustain our identity, that you would come and, and you would secure our place as sons and daughters. Lord, I pray for, for moments of, of just diving into the word and getting to know your nature, to know, to know who you are, to know what you're capable of. God, for, for investing and in, in learning about your character, I pray for your people. And God, I pray that you would move, that you would do good things, God, and I pray that we would be people who believe for those things. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. God, we love you. We need you, and we certainly can't live without you. In Jesus' name, amen.